This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hey there, Brandon Harvey here. Before we get started, I have some exciting news. Oh my gosh, we've been waiting to announce this for a long time. We have a brand new website. Historically, all of the good things that we share at Good 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 have been kind of siloed off in weird places. Some of our good news stories are on Instagram, some are in our newsletter, some are on the podcast. Now, there's a place that houses all of that good and then some. The new Good 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 website is officially the number one resource for feeling more hopeful and doing more good. We've got searchable good news stories by topic and category. We've got a collection of resources on the best ways to take action about any given issue. And we've got all of our podcast episode pages, which now include transcripts so you can read through the episodes and they're more accessible for more people. There's so much more cool stuff on the site on top of that. And I would love for you to do two things. I would love for you to one, just go check it out. Read the good news stories. Dive into some of the action steps. I hope you come away feeling more hopeful. And if you do, number two, I would love for you to share the new website with somebody else. Post it on social media. Send it over to a friend. We want to get the word out so that more people can join us in our efforts to feel more hopeful and do more good. The new website can be found at the same URL, goodgoodgood.co. That's goodgoodgood.co, and the link is in the show notes. All right, here's the show. Climate change is clearly a huge problem, and we are all growing more and more concerned about it. But Francisca Troutman wanted to take her anxiety about the environment and turn it into action, and that's exactly what she did. While she was finishing college in New Orleans, she and a couple of friends saw how big of a problem it was that New Orleans, for how big of a city it is, didn't have a glass recycling program. And so she took matters into her own hands and she did something about it. And today, she's joining us to share exactly how that happened. This is Sounds Good. I'm Brandon Harvey. Our guest this week is Francisca Troutman, the founder of Glass Half Full. And in this episode, Francisca shares the story of how she came up with the idea for Glass Half Full, which frankly is a very relatable experience. I think we've all had a moment like that moment. Uh, Because it, (laughs) I mean, frankly, it just began with a single bottle of wine and then tracing the roots back further and further and further. She also discussed her long-term goals for Glass Heffel and how passion, curiosity, and her own personal journey contributed to the founding of Glass Heffel. And on top of that, Francisca emphasizes the importance of being open to learning about new things to progress towards a better world. I just love this conversation about the start of her kind of jumpstart into the world of environmental activism. And I learned a lot about how I can be more intentional about my own waste. And of course, we got to have a wonderful conversation about the nuances of 
individual actions versus the responsibility of governments and corporations in fighting for climate change. And so if that's something you've been paying attention to, this episode is for you. So without any further ado, let's jump straight into our conversation. I want to start off by asking you just to describe what is Glass Half Full? Of course. So Glass Half Full is a community-run glass recycling organization. We started about a year and a half ago at the end of my college career um, due to the frustration we had over New Orleans not recycling glass. And we had had that frustration for all the years that we lived in New Orleans and decided one day to just jump into action and create that solution that we wanted to see. I just think that this is the coolest story because it's an example of seeing a problem and then instead of waiting for somebody else to solve that problem, just stepping up and solving it. And and honestly, it's a very unique solution to the problem. It's a very like niche, again, like like almost like nerdy specific thing. And that's what makes me even more excited. And so maybe we can back up to earlier in the origin story. So you were in college when you decided to found this. Is Was there a particular moment that you realized that this was a problem that you could not let just continue and that you thought that maybe you should be the one to solve it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so my co-founder, Max, and I always love to talk about the origin story because it literally happened over a bottle of wine that comes in a glass. And <laughs> um, in college, we had contributed so many glass bottles to our landfills, unfortunately. And we were drinking that bottle of wine in our senior year. And we had reeled over this problem so many times. So many people in New Orleans, you hear them say, oh, I can't believe we don't recycle glass. It's such a shame. We drink so much. We're always drinking. It's a huge part of our culture. Someone should really do something about that. And over that bottle of wine, for some reason, something just clicked. Why not us? Why can't we do something about it? Why can't we start something to at least make a dent in this problem? And from the very beginning, we knew that we weren't trying to solve the entire problem. We weren't trying to capture all of New Orleans's glass that day. But we were like, what if we just started with our friends and then maybe grow to our neighborhood? and then the city, and then the state. You know, that was always our plan was to start small and then grow from there. So it really started with literally that bottle of wine. I was like, okay, I can't throw this away anymore. (laughs) And then it grew from there. So what did you do with that bottle of wine? And what was that next first step that you took? Because I'm, I'm seeing you at the vantage point of you are supporting your entire city and your goal is to support the state. But what I'm hearing from you is that, you know, there were smaller steps before you got to my vantage point. Of course. Yeah. Um, We started with our own glass and truly just hoarding it (laughs) while we figured out what we could do with it. Um, So we kind of jumped into this little like research phase. At first we were thinking maybe we could ship it off. Maybe we could ship it to someone else who recycles it. And that was kind of our initial thought. And people were actually on board with that. Like, yeah, at least it's going somewhere. And then the more we thought about it, the more we thought, you know, that probably won't work very well. You know, glass is so heavy. It's even more CO2 into the air. That's probably not the best solution. What if we turned it into something ourselves? And that's when we thought, okay, let's crush it up. And we found the perfect machine. It was very small. 
something that we felt was manageable, having had literally no recycling or, you know, mechanical experience. We're like, okay, this looks pretty simple. You literally just put a bottle in and sand comes out. And so once we found that machine, we started a GoFundMe based on that. Like, look at this machine. We can crush up this glass into sand. And that's just an easy concept for people to understand. How did you begin to do your research for this? Because so on our end, we saw the problem of people feeling overwhelmed by bad news and recognizing that there is this internal negativity bias that everybody carries that makes it hard to absorb good news even when you see it. It's just easier to absorb bad news than good news. So the way that we decided to tackle it was to make a print newspaper filled with good news because we thought that that would uh, be a very good way to like grab people's brains' attention and help them absorb good news on a deeper level. But the problem is that there is no instruction manual on how to make a newspaper in the year at the time, I guess it was like 2016. And there's like, you can't watch YouTube videos because all the people who did it are like 70. And so like the research that I did was just talking to like 70 year old men who have been doing this for decades and literally like nothing was online. I can't imagine that there's like glasscrusher.com with like a whole tutorial. Like how did that research process go for you? Yeah, not at all. It's actually still so hard for us to find new information sometimes because it's just, it's not out there. The playbook isn't out there, which it's kind of become a part of our goal to make this playbook so that other cities, other communities can follow our footsteps. But that's a great question. Um, it really was a lot of Googling, a lot of Googling in quotation marks, <laughs> you know, when you have to search for that exact word. So like, we finally figured out, okay, most people are crushing glass with what's called a hammer mill. So then we're like, small hammer mill, you know, and like, and we actually found this company based in New Zealand, that was so small at the time, and only made these little small machines that are hand fed. And from there, that company has actually grown and now they create huge machines and we use those huge machines, you know? Um, so it, it really took a lot of uh, internet digging and luckily we both grew up uh, with computers that, that didn't feel too, too daunting to us. Um, but I, I love the, the talking to old men phase. I wish we had that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that though, because I imagine you had to some degree that experience with this New Zealand company where it's like, you know, you start asking some questions and they know some stuff and you know some stuff and together you're figuring stuff out. And what I love is that it seems like there's maybe like a secret bubbling growth of this world of let's recycle glass, let's do this thing for our communities because this organization in New Zealand is growing, y'all are growing. And so it, it's cool to think about how that rising tide is lifting multiple communities. Exactly. I think there's just in general around the world, there's a rising tide of people deciding to take on these challenges themselves, like this company, Plastic World, I want to say, but they kind of do the same thing. They show you the blueprint of how to recycle plastic in your community if it's not happening. They literally give you like the actual blueprint for like the machines and like how to build them. Um, so I think this whole like kind of DIY is save the planet is happening here. <laughs> So I guess I'm curious too, what kind of expertise did you bring from the beginning? Because obviously, I would imagine you've learned a lot on the job and you had the passion and curiosity and personal story. But did you already know things about climate change or recycling systems or engineering or anything like that? Um, I did. So I was a 
biology, an ecology major, so sort of like environmental biology. And then I actually ended up graduating in chemical engineering. So I sort of had that environmental engineering background. But truthfully, we had no knowledge that truly (laughs) boosted our organization. You know, I think, I think the biggest thing that we brought was passion and being able to get people on board with what we were kind of preaching. And that allowed us to have such a a wider reach, like through TikTok and through um, Instagram and those kinds of things to bring in experts who did know what they were doing so they could help us. Honestly, that's super encouraging to hear because I think that it'd be easy. Like if your story was just like, yeah, I actually went to school for glass recycling. Then everybody goes, oh, well, I didn't. So I can't do this thing. But just the fact that you're like, hey, I had, you know, 10% 10% of the knowledge and the rest I figured out with hard work and passion and talking to experts, like that feels very accessible. Exactly. I think the key is just bringing in other experts. You know, inherently you're not going to know everything. And the thing is experts love to help people with the thing that they're passionate about. So exactly, it's exciting. Yeah. You know, your initial goal, you know, in, in to some degree was just I want to make sure that this glass isn't going to waste because it feels bad that this is going to waste. But I understand that you figured out a few more goals that you were able to kind of go after in these beginning stages. And specifically, you know, I remember seeing on your site, you know, you want to divert glass from landfills, you want to reinvest in Louisiana, and then you also want to educate and engage your community. Tell me a little bit more about points two and three, because those are super interesting to me. And it's really cool that you can have three missions in one. Thank you. Um, Yes. So our goal was not only to recycle the glass, but to turn it into something that could be used locally for good. So how we're doing that currently, we crush up the glass into sand. And in New Orleans, we live in a literal bowl. So we're like underground. So anytime it rains more than an inch an hour, um, we're flooding. And how houses, businesses, and people combat that is usually by um, using sandbags to protect their homes during those times. So we've been able to crush up so much glass, turn it into sand, and create sandbags that we're able to give away to people in preparation for um, hurricanes and floods And our ultimate goal with the sand and using it as a resource for our state is to use it in our coastal projects because we're also running out of sand um, for those projects. It's truly an intense situation in which we have the funding, we have the ability to build back our coast, but we're waiting on sand. Um, It just can't be dredged up fast enough in order to make a dent. Um, So our long-term goal there is to be able to... um, help and supply sand for those sorts of projects. And then the third point, um, educating and inspiring our community is just something we've wanted to do since the get. I grew up in Louisiana without access to recycling, without the knowledge of why it was even important, what it meant. And that's something that really hits close to home because now I'm just looking back at all that waste that I, like literally waste, I just threw it into a landfill and now it's buried up, you know? So being able to educate fellow Louisianians, Americans, you know, people around the world about why it's so important to recycle and why we shouldn't be viewing all of our 
trash as waste and more viewing it as a resource because there are other things that could be turned into like sand, which we're running out of. How did you come to the conclusion that you wanted to take that like three-pronged approach? Because you could have just thought about it as just the first point. It was really just another aha moment very soon after we decided to crush it up, crush up glass and turn it into sand. We were like, okay, well, what would we do with the sand? Like sand seems like a sort of boring resource, you know? Um, And it is the most exploited resource after water. Like it's literally used in every single thing, like things you don't even realize, like chips in your phone and like paint, random stuff. And then obviously concrete to create buildings and coastal projects and all this stuff. Um, But we really, we thought to really get people into it, we couldn't be like, okay, we're going to turn this glass into sand and then use it to build a high rise. Like, that sounds lame. Um, And so we're like, well, what's sand used for? Coast, beaches, sandbags, all of these things that are also really huge problems where we're from. And so really just clicked we're like sand okay and then use it for the coast use it for sandbags um and then the the third piece the education piece really came about through tiktok we posted a tiktok or two and people loved it and they had felt like they were having the same issues in their community and how can i help and oh my god i didn't even know like why we should be recycling and we just realized the reach that we could have and the amount of people that we could reach. And that was just so rewarding and something that we realized we wanted to jump on immediately. You really are amazing on TikTok. Like, it's just so fun to watch you and learn from you. Like, I hope everybody goes and follows you. Like, this isn't the right word, but it's like funny to see you building such a big community because it's it's you, you know, operating a forklift, recycling glass. Like, that's not what people expect on TikTok. Has it been surprising to you at all that you have built such a massive like community of people around such a niche topic. Definitely. When when I always see those TikTok like helper people that try to like help you go viral and help you grow your account, they're they're always like you have to hammer home your niche and I'm literally like, okay, my niche is glass recycling, forklifts, <laughs> like it's so <laughs> it's very very random, but I think that's what makes it attractive to people. It's something so different and I remember like posting one video I was like I'm, I'm going to be the first like influencer that works in a warehouse. Like just watch me. Like I'm not going (laughs) to be an influencer that's going on like, you know, trips to model bikinis, but I'm going to be like on my forklift and like showing you how to recycle. (laughs) But I think because it's different, people are attracted to it. I think so. Yeah. I think, I mean, honestly, it just showed up on my for you page, which is like, TikTok's algorithm like knows exactly what their thing is, but it stood out because I'm like, oh, this is the first time I've ever seen uh, like a woman in a warehouse like creating a funny video about glass recycling. Like nobody else is competing for that market. <laughs> exactly. I'm really, I've, yeah, I've got my market down. There's this conversation happening in the environmentalism community, and I'm sure you know way more about this than I even do. And it's about the importance of individual action. And I think we all grew up thinking that we could like print our homework assignments on both sides of the paper and that would solve the climate crisis. But then I think many of us, as we became adults and we learned more about the world, we realized that governments and massive companies play a much bigger role in climate change than many of our small changes 
ever could. And I'm so curious to hear your thoughts, but I personally stand somewhere in the middle between like systemic change and individual action, because I think individual action can result in systemic change. And that's why I want to be able to kind of fight for both. But I'm curious for you, how do you hold that tension? Because you've actually, I guess, created a system for systemic change that's brought about by a lot of individual action. That's exactly my stance. I think, of course, we need to go after large corporations, governments, municipalities, and get them to enact change. But like we saw in our city, that's not always going to happen. Or even if it does, it's going to take 10 to 15 years and we don't always have that time. And I truly do think individual actions add up to something extreme. They have a ripple effect. Like, I mean, I've got my mom to start recycling. I got my brother to start recycling. People I never thought would start recycling. And when you really take a look at those super small steps that you think are small, and then, for example, with with Glass Half Full, you know, we started with our friends in our community, and that literally added up to, in less than a year, a million pounds of glass. <laughs> like, we did not, we only collected from residents for the first year of operation. We just started collecting from restaurants and bars because they were mostly closed um, due to COVID. And during that whole year, you know, you bring in 10 to 15 bottles every time you come. You don't think it's a huge difference. And then we're like, bam, a a million pounds of glass. Like that's huge, you know, and that makes a really big difference. And so I'm with you on that. I think individual actions absolutely matter. We are going to take a quick break. And when we're back, Francisca helps me better understand the world of recycling and what is actually helpful and what isn't. And I even get nerdy for a moment on the process of recycling glass. It is surprisingly so interesting. You don't want to miss this. We'll be right back. Sounds Good is sponsored by Libro FM. Libro FM is the company that lets you support a local bookstore every time you download an audiobook. Here is how it works. Libro FM members get one audiobook credit per month for $14.99. And then you can use that credit on any audiobook you want. I personally like to use it on the audiobooks that are like normally like $45 because then you're only paying $14.99 for it. And the great thing is when you download audiobooks through Libro FM, you not only get this delightful audiobook, but you get to help support a local bookstore of your choosing in the process. I chose Broadway Books. It's down the street from my house in Portland. It is cute. It is important. It is It just feels good. I love getting to support them just by downloading audiobooks. You get to keep your money within your local economy, create local jobs, and make a difference in your community. As a special offer for Sounds Good listeners, Libro FM is offering two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership with the code GOOD. All you have to do is visit the website Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O.fm, and use the promo code GOOD to get started with two audiobooks to help support a local bookstore and to help support this show. Sounds Good is sponsored by Breaking Glass. 
Breaking Glass is the podcast that hosts intimate conversations about women around the world. Their guests are bending systems and breaking rules to rewrite the narrative for women. And its co-hosts, Sabrina Mirage Naeem and Cassia Binkowski, connect with radical activists and unassuming feminists who are reimagining what it means to be a woman in the world. And I personally am a huge fan of this podcast. Uh, It has been such a beautiful way to find inspiring women moving the needle for good in the world. And I was so excited when we got this new sponsor because I know that listeners of this show are going to love it. Their global guests are working across countries and cultures to disrupt social norms, religious traditions, political systems, familial expectations, and to redefine what it means to be a woman in the world. Past guests have included media moguls, women fighting wildlife crime, ministers of health, female entrepreneurs, reproductive rights activists, and so many more. Breaking Glass is a production of the good folks at Evoke Media. They're this amazing nonprofit that exists in order to elevate the people and stories that are working to make the world a more equitable place. You can listen to Breaking Glass wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can learn more at breakingglasspodcast.com slash good. One more time, that's Breaking Glass and breakingglasspodcast.com slash good. I would love to just take a few minutes to kind of nerd out about the process of glass recycling because I have so many questions. I know that so many of our listeners are also nerdy. And so do you would you mind indulging me with some like specific questions about the process of recycling glass? Please go ahead. Okay. So first of all, like why is it important? To recycle glass, like maybe just start starting off at a high level. Like, what's the downside of throwing glass into a landfill versus choosing to recycle it and reuse it? Yeah, so there's a few different reasons depending on what you do with the glass, but just in general, why it shouldn't go to a landfill. Landfills are inherently toxic. They can leach into the environment. They take up a huge amount of space and a huge amount of resources, like millions and millions and millions of dollars to build. So the slower we can fill up those landfills, the less landfills we have to have in, not to mention traditionally brown and black communities. And so that is one reason landfills suck. Let's not fill them up so that we don't have to build more. The second reason is when you recycle glass and turn it into a resource, you are now reducing the amount of virgin resource that you need. So for example, if we're turning it into sand, we reduce the amount of sand locally that we need to dredge, which is a super environmentally taxing process um, on the environment because you're just scooping up from the bottom of a riverbed, messing up those ecosystems that already live there. And we want to avoid that if possible. If you are recycling glass into new glass, Um, Actually, on a per pound basis, every pound of glass that you recycle into new glass, you save a pound of CO2 going into the atmosphere because it melts melts at a lower temperature. So that's a big reason why most recycling is turning that glass into new glass because it's a huge benefit to the environment. Okay. Another question is, how does that 
compared to other materials like recycling plastic, recycling paper and cardboard? Uh, is there anything unique or special about glass in that uh, in that process? Yeah. So the special thing about glass is that is it it is infinitely recyclable. So you can have a glass bottle, crush it up, turn it into a new bottle, crush it up, turn it into a new bottle, and it will not lose any of its properties. It will remain a perfect glass bottle. Whereas plastic, um, there's usually about four to five um, recycling cycles that you can take until it's just useless. So that's the beautiful thing about glass. Aluminum is is pretty similar. Metal in general is pretty similar. You can keep recycling it. It's also inert, so it does not interact with anything that you put it in. That's why things just taste better in glass. You don't get that metally taste or plasticky taste um, that you might get in other containers. Would it be fair to say then that if you're at a store and you've got, you know, uh, you've got a few options on, I guess, like wine? Option one is like a little like Boda box paper thing. Option two is a can of wine. Option three is a glass of wine. Is it safe to assume that the glass would be the one that you should choose at the store as well? It depends on if you're able to recycle that glass locally, really. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So if your municipality does not recycle glass, then the cardboard is probably the best or the the can. But if you are able to recycle glass and turn it into new bottles, you 100% want to choose that glass because it will never, literally never go to waste. It'll always go into making new bottles. That is so interesting. And then, so you specifically take your glass and you crush it up into sand. And that's the primary thing that you do with it. Is that different from other glass recyclers or do all glass recyclers do that? And then it's a decision on what happens with that sand next. Yeah, that's a good question. So most large glass recyclers um, crush it up into what's called cullet, which is larger glass pieces, C-U-L-L-E-T, cullet. Um, And cullet is what can be remelted and made into new bottles. But in that crushing process to make it into that size, you will ultimately get smaller pieces, which are like a sand. So Usually big recyclers will use the cullet, send that to a bottling plant, and then use the sand for something like fiberglass insulation or send it to sandblasters or whatever, wherever the sand can be used for locally. But their main process is turning it into the larger pieces. Those are all of the questions that immediately came to mind where I was like, okay, you're going to know more than I do. I want to learn. I'm curious, what's something that you've learned about glass that you didn't expect to learn? That's almost like, a fun fact that, you know, people wouldn't think to ask or know? Yeah, that's a good question. I've literally learned so much. I did not (laughs) know (laughs) much about glass, to be honest. Um, My favorite thing about glass is that it's infinitely recyclable and can turn into glass over and over again. But through partnering with an actual glass artist, because we make Um, recycled glass beads and jewelry and sort of niche products like that, I've learned that number one, each bottle, each type of bottle, color, size, whatever, will have a different what's called coefficient of expansion. So it'll like melt and mold at a different temperature. And just because of like the elements that go into making, for example, 
blue bottles, you put cobalt into it. And so cobalt will affect, yeah, that melting temperature, which has been super interesting to learn. Like just the other day, my glass artist was like, hey, I need a new batch of green glass because this one was too mixed and it's melting at different temperatures and it's (laughs) being all funny. And I was just like, what? (laughs) But I love, I love that. Like each, each bottle is so unique and different. I think that one of my favorite things about like doing something very niche is becoming an expert on things where you're like, I will never use this information again. Like I know everything about the newspaper making process and it is 0% applicable to anybody else or any other future careers I could have. No, it's so cool. One day you'll be that like old person that people are coming to being like, wait, how, how did people print newspapers? What? So funny. I've got, Two uh, last questions, and I'm going to combine them into one for you, which is what advice would you give to those who want to find missing gaps in their community, whether it's in the world of recycling or just another need that's unmet in their community? And then kind of part two to that question is what advice would you give to those who want to begin the process of filling those missing gaps in their community and starting something, whether it's a glass recycling program or something else that feels ambitious and big and wild? Yeah, those are great questions. Um, In terms of finding the need in your community, I think understanding what you might want to see in your community. Because when we started glass recycling, you know, we always knew that we had a problem with it and our, you know, some of our immediate friends had a problem with it, but we didn't know truly how wide that net spread. And once we did start reaching out to people, we realized, oh, other people agree with us. Other people think this. So I think understanding what you might want to see in your community, because that'll give you the passion to do it. And then reaching out and seeing if other people feel the same way. And then in terms of getting started, I think I love what we talked about earlier about not being an expert in any sense, not having the formal education behind it or even really the connections and definitely not the money, Um, but just starting anyway and understanding that you will learn as you go. The funding will come if it's the right fit for your community. If it's the right need, the funding will come and the people will come. The experts will come out of the woodworks to help you from literally all over the world, which is an incredible thing. Um, And so I think using outreach to your community um, to your advantage, just reaching out and saying, hey, I think this is a problem and I think I want to be the one to solve it and just seeing what you get back. That's Francisca Troutman, founder, co-director, and resident chemical engineer of Glass Half Bowl. Francisca is on a mission to raise awareness about and help change recycling issues in New Orleans. I highly recommend checking out the Glass Half Bowl website and making a donation to support their incredible work. And you should absolutely follow along with their brilliance on social media. You can check out what they're up to on Instagram at glasshalfbowl.nola and on TikTok at glasshalfbowlnola. Their TikTok is so good. And then of course, you need to follow Francisca herself on social media. She is a delight. Her Instagram is franziska. It's F-R-A-N-Z-E-E-S-K-A. 
This podcast was created by Good Good Good. At Good Good Good, we help you feel more hopeful and do more good. And we just launched a brand new website filled with ways to do good, filled with stories worth celebrating. And I would love for you to go check it out. It's at goodgoodgood.co. And from there, you can also sign up for weekly emails filled with good news, our monthly good newspapers, real life newspapers filled with good news. And you can dive into the whole backlog of all Sounds Good podcast episodes. One more time, that's goodgoodgood.co. This episode is created by Sarah Lee, Megan Burns, and me, Brandon Harvey. It was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. Make sure to hit the follow button wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get a new episode of Sounds Good delivered straight to your phone each Monday while you sleep. And if you have a favorite episode of the show, share it on your Instagram stories. It's a great way to help more people find the show. And now you can also go to the show notes on our website for this episode and share that. It's got all kinds of really cool stuff. It's got all the links I just mentioned. And also just the site is beautiful. One more time, that's at goodgoodgood.co. And with that, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and see what a difference you and your friends can make in your community. And we'll be back next week with more good news and good action. Sound good? Sound good?